Hello world. Hey. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hi. Hello. 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 Hi. It's like I've forgotten how to say hello. <laughs> hey, hey, and welcome to this week's episode of Life with Kaka. I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. However you found the show, welcome. I am so glad you're here doing this life thing with me. How are you holding up? It is an interesting time to be alive, to say the least. Uh, I certainly have my ups and downs, my days where things seem possible, and then days where things seem absolutely impossible. (laughs) I hope that the show is informative and that you're getting great insight into the stories of the fascinating producers who make up our industry. But more importantly, I hope that you're finding a sense of community that you're not alone in your journey. In case you were looking for a dose of inspiration, well, you came to the right place. Because this week on the show, you'll hear from Samantha Hausman. She is such a badass. I'm so impressed by her. She came into my world because of another Carolina that I'm currently working with. And while I've not had the pleasure of meeting Sam in person yet, I can't wait for the day to come. So Sam dreamed of making John Hughes types of movies. And that dream brought her to LA when she was 16 years old, on her own and without knowing a single soul in the business. Through a series of very fortunate events, she got on a set, and when she saw what a producer did, she said, yes, that, I want to do that. And she hasn't really looked back since. She self-taught and came up in the trenches of the business as a post-supervisor, assistant director, and UPM. She's currently a producer at 51 Entertainment, a platform-agnostic filmmaker-driven production company founded by Lynette Hal-Taylor. When she saw the kind of producer Lynette was, she knew she'd do anything to work with her. True to the rest of her story, when Sam wanted to make something happen, she did. In 2018, Sam produced Six Balloons, a Netflix original feature written and directed by her longtime collaborator, Marja Lewis Ryan. The film tells the story of a woman driving across LA with her heroin addict brother in search of a detox center with his two-year-old daughter in tow. It's a very touching, moving piece of art. So if you have not seen it, I highly recommend checking it out. I could go on and on about all of Sam's credits, but what really resonated for me is her resilience, her courage, her determination. Oh, and of course, the fact that she complimented my Marianne bangs. (laughs) If you've been following me on social media, you've seen that I had a little bit of an obsession with normal people when it came out on Hulu. So tune in as we discuss my bangs, courage, vanity credits and break down the post coordinator role. I'm so excited for this week's episode and I can't wait to hear what you think. So without further ado, here is Sam. Can we talk about your nails for a second? Yeah, let's talk about them. Did you do them yourself? Yes. Oh my God. Yes, I did. They're so, it's so impressive. Thank you. So I have been doing my own nails for a long time because I pick at them and then I get bored of the color and I change my nail polish color like every week. Right. It's like a therapeutic self-care ritual. Sure. But it's the one thing that like, if I don't have nail polish on, I feel kind of weird. Totally. I feel that way about my eyebrows. Like if I don't get my eyebrows waxed, I feel like- Like who are you? Yeah. Like like I start questioning everything about myself. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I've been like binge watching. I don't really know what that term means, actually. Like, I realized I said that the other day. And binge I binge watching, yeah. Like, I sort of learned that it means actually you finish it in one sitting, which is not what I've done. But I've been watching normal people. And well, I know, oh my God, we could talk about that. I could just talk about it for like hours. Did you finish it? You finished it? No, so I still have two more episodes. But right now, what's sort of tripping me out is like last night when I was watching. 
they're like talking via Skype for like two episodes. Yes. And she's wearing like a black turtleneck yes. and she has bangs. Yes. And, okay. and like her nails are done. So I'm like, are you, are you like pulling inspiration? I am Marianne. Okay. Here's legit. I'm not even kidding you. I took Marianne's photo. I binge watched. I literally watched it in one sitting. Normal people finished it, started immediately again. <laughs> and I sent the photo to my hairdresser and I was like, I want Marianne Got bangs. Up. So this Come is, on. I'm not even kidding you. I'm not even kidding oh you. I will God. show you. <laughs> I Swear to God. So this is, yeah, this is my Marianne in Sweden look. Yes, in Sweden. Yes. <laughs> when exactly. she's in Sweden. So that's yes. what I was going for. Oh my God. Oh my God. We're like, I got the reference. I just. Thank you. I, exciting. I'm like channeling her. I'm pretending I'm 22. And totally. Anyway, I <laughs> so excited to talk to you because I'm working for the second time with Carolina Costa Amazing. on a project um, and was like looking up producers. I'm like, who do I want to meet and talk to? Who's got doing awesome stuff and then you came up and I was like oh my god yes Carolina just worked with her let me reach out to her and boom 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 so I love it I'm so glad you reached out yeah no thank you for taking the time so I guess you know take us to the beginning um just your origin story the beginning of life yeah I have a really like strange like trajectory of becoming a producer as a kid I was really into watching movies like anything that could like take me out of my life for two hours was like a gift, right? It was almost like for me, like watching movies was almost like, like a religious experience. And I watched a lot of like sort of weird to follow up a sentence that said religious experience with what I'm about to say. But like I was watching a lot of like John Hughes movies, mm. feeling like misunderstood in, in my room, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to to create like John Hughes content, like whatever that means, right? For like my generation, mm-hmm. like whatever the fuck that meant, right? Or, can I swear? Am yeah, I allowed to swear? Yeah, 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 okay. totally. Uh, so I had like gone to like a like a summer camp that was for like performing arts. So I was like, well, maybe I can like be an actor. And like I played. Where was this? Um, it's called Stage Door Manor, and it's in the Catskills. Okay. There was a movie once made about it called Camp, and it's like everything you could ever think about like at a performing arts summer camp is like this camp wow that sounds amazing it's awesome but so I was like okay well maybe I can like be an actor or like I played the drums at the time so it was like maybe I can like use that somehow but anyway what I ended up doing like in the middle of my sophomore year in Boston I said to my mom like I'm like done like I'm gonna I'm gonna finish high school and move to California and <laughs> make John Hughes movies and your mom was like uh what? and she was like come again so my mom my mom was like okay cool that like sounds great like for real like she was very oh look if my 16 year old ever came to me and was like I'm dropping out of high school and I'm moving across the country I'd be like you're out of your fucking mind like you are <laughs> not doing that like there's no way you're doing that yep yep, yep. but she was very like I don't know, like, I never went after my dreams, like, you should, like, go after yours. Hmm. So I moved to fucking California. Like, I didn't know anybody. Wow. At all. So I played the drums, right? Like I was saying earlier. And so I got this job at a music store on the Sunset Strip. And they were, like, one of the only places that would hire someone that wasn't 18. Hmm. So I was, like, working on the Sunset Strip, playing the drums, I had all of LA as a playground at 16 with like a fake ID doing all kinds of dangerous shit. Like looking back, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm like 
survive that. It's insane. It's really insane. And you probably thought you were so grown and like new stuff. Oh, yeah, course. for sure. Yeah. But so someone came into the drum shop and was like, I need a like drummer, like a female drummer for like a commercial. And I like happened to be in the drum shop. So, so I like auditioned for this commercial and I ended up like getting the commercial. Mm. And then I sort of ended up becoming this like person that was like in like commercials <laughs> as like a drummer, but then like also as like a high school student. And like, anyway, it's very embarrassing. But so when I was on set, I looked around and I was like, okay, like producers, like they're like running shit. Like ADs seem to be doing something that's like important. Like, all right. Yeah. Like I want to, the producer seems like they're the boss. Like I, I feel like that's what I want to do, but I had absolutely no way in. So I was at a bar. I was at the Abbey when the Abbey was cool. So I met this woman who was a first AD and I just lied to her. Like, I was like, I'm a second AD. You should hire me if you ever need anybody. (gasps) And she called me like six weeks later. She was like, I'm doing this like non-union music video. I can't really pay you anything, but like, do you want to do it? So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, of course, yeah. For sure. So I like got to her office on the first day and she was like, open up your lap, open up Excel and build the call sheet. And I was like, what's Excel? (laughs) Like, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, none, you know? But I got sort of lucky. She, like, she sort of, like, respected it somehow. Like, I I don't, she sort of was, like, weirdly, like, charmed by it or something. She she was impressed by the hustle. She's like, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Or she just, like, felt bad for me. But I worked for her for, like, a year. And we worked on all of these projects that frankly had like incompetent producing teams. Mm. So you would like get to set and there like wouldn't be a generator or we'd be like shooting somewhere and they like wouldn't have a location permit and it would get shut down or like the act. Yeah. Or like the actor like wouldn't have a long form design or just like all of these things. So I sort of like slowly started like doing it like on these projects. Like I was like, oh, like I could, I'll figure out how to get a generator. Like I'll figure out how to pull a permit. Like you don't know how to do it. I'll figure it out. Mm. And I sort of slowly started like doing it. And then my friend wrote this play and I saw the play and I loved it. This was someone else I also met at the Abbey, actually. Strange, strange. Interesting. I know. Sam's career brought to you by the Abbey. By the Abbey. (laughs) Being gay and young in Hollywood. No. um, Yeah. So I saw the play and I was like, this is fucking awesome. And it's sort of like a, a gay John Hughes like story. So I think that you should make it into a movie and... I like know how much this shit costs now. Like, I think we can make this movie for like 150 grand. And we basically did. We like made this movie for like no money. And, and the movie like turned out pretty good. And we like sold it to like MTV and we like won an award at Outfest. And yeah. So from there, I just kind of started like trying to do more of that, like looking for scripts or filmmakers that I like really believed in or really felt like that voice needed to be in the world, but couldn't get their things made. Well, what gave you the confidence (laughs) to, to look at that and go, I don't know. I don't know how to do this, but I, I'm just going to figure it out and it's going to cost 150K and I'm just going to, you know, limp my way to success. Like what, what is it about you that just had this confidence? What was it? Um, What's the secret? That's a good question. 
I think, I think with youth comes ignorance. And like, I just, I think I just thought if I act like I'm confident, I'll, I'll be able to figure it out. I guess a little bit of that is like, I had to figure out how to like live in LA at such a young age and like, mm. but I, I don't know. That's a really good question. And oh, my wife is bringing me a coffee right now, which is great. Cause she just asked me a personal question. And I don't know how to answer it. What was the, <laughs> the question was, why did I have the confidence to just figure it out? Yeah. Like when she started her career, what gave her, what gave her the balls? Yeah, I don't. At you know, the ripe age of, I don't know, what were you twenty at this point? I was twenty one. Yeah, twenty one. Yeah, like that's your wee babe. Totally. So then, how do you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I get it because I'm wired very similarly. But it's such a responsibility, right? Totally. <laughs> to say you're gonna lead all these people down this path when you really don't know how to do it, but. What I find fascinating about most producers I've had the opportunity to talk to is that there's something innate in them that they just somehow knew they were going to figure it out and it was all going to be okay. And I think it's like in a way we're all cut from a similar fabric and I'm just like fascinated by it and then the kinds of people and the personality types that are sort of like mesmerized by the chaos that is this business that is producing specifically and then just having the gumption to say, I don't know, but I'm, I know I can find the answer. You know what I mean? It's fascinating. I really get off on people telling me that something can't be done. <laughs> like, I really love it. Like, I love being told, like, you'll never be able to do it yeah. like that. And then proving them wrong. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Yeah. It, it feels like something like I just have like a problem with authority and, and I'm always like fighting against them or the system or something. But I think, you know, honestly, like in that particular case, I was like struggling at that time, like personally with like, am I gay? Am I straight? Like, who am I in the world? Like, mm. like sort of any, everything that you sort of like reckon with when you're like in your early twenties. But I, I really felt like there wasn't anything out there to watch for for people like me. Mm. I saw this opportunity in this play and I really, the writer's voice like spoke to me in such a profound way that to me, it almost felt like not getting it made was like doing a disservice to like the world. Yeah. And also I think cause they were like my friends, the pressure wasn't as high and and also i think a little bit like you you really are kind of ignorant when you're younger <laughs> like i sort of thought because i had just been doing these like smaller movies and figuring it out like i was like i can do anything yeah it turns out like that's not true and i failed so many times at so many things but yeah so you produced that movie and it goes on to have some success. You said it premiered at some festivals. It seemed like it got you some attention, right? A little bit. Um, especially at that time. Like I think getting films into festival totally was much harder. Yes. I feel yeah. like that it really was based more on merit. Now it's like a little more political. For sure. So then that, that experience, did, did that experience then solidify for you? Okay, like this is a producer. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Yes. So for me, that experience was like, it made me want to do it again yeah. and be more involved from the beginning, sort of. Um, but yeah, I, I was pretty certain at that point after making that movie or maybe the next movie that I, I was like on the right path. How would you define a producer? Oh, God. 
Well, there's so many different types of producers, right? I mean, the only way I can describe it is like, I really believe in like singular vision filmmaking and that you have to protect that vision at all costs, which isn't to say that you don't engage or that I don't engage in debate with that filmmaker or like give strong, like creative, like discourse. I'm a very hands-on nuts and bolts kind of producer in my experience to date. Anyway, I'm usually very involved, like reading early drafts of a script or an idea and kind of giving different forms of notes or development and then sort of seeing that all the way through to like, how do you get putting a budget and a schedule and a plan into place and oftentimes raising the money from scratch or, or taking it in somewhere. Right. And then I'm the kind of producer that's usually like on set every day sitting with the director. And then I'm usually the kind of producer that's like very involved in edit and post and then seeing it through to delivery. I don't think all producers are like that, but for me, that's like been my experience experience, which isn't to say that I don't sometimes wish that I could take more of a backseat on certain projects. <laughs> but I but I I love being the sort of like partner to the filmmaker and giving the filmmaker the space to get their vision onto the screen and into the world. Yeah. Well you sort of because you did the AD thing for a while, it seems, from your IMDb slash bio, and then you kind of went, oh, God. <laughs> you know, how accurate is IMDb? Yeah. That let's, let's, But you were in post for a long time, it seems, before you kind of jumped over into the beginning of the process. And so yeah. talk a little bit about that journey. I think that's what's made you this kind of producer, right? Because you kind of totally. got to see this side of it. And then... Yes. Yes. Knowledge is power. I, I never had um, access to like tons of money. So I never had the ability to be like, oh, I can like raise $5 million and make a movie, right? So mm-hmm. my only way in and up was actually like doing the physical work. As you say, yes, I was eight second ADing a movie and the producer of that film, it was the first film she was producing. And she actually would like made her living as like a post supervisor, post producer, um, Right after that film, she basically was like, she offered me a job. She was like, I'm going to start a new company. You know, you should come work with me. I want to produce movies, but I also do post and I can like teach you post-production. And so I, right as I was making The Four Face Liar, I also sort of like started post-coordinating for this woman, Louise Runge, who I would like credit to anything that I do that's good professionally is because of her. Will you just define just really quickly what a post coordinator does for the listeners? Yeah. So similar to a production coordinator in that you're like, like overseeing the post process. So well, normally like a post supervisor would sort of be the top and then I would report to that supervisor, but things like creating like post calendars, like how long you're going to be editing for, how long your director's cut is, Mm -hmm. how long you're going to do like post-production. So like color and sound and sound design and composer and um, scheduling ADR and making sure that the visual effects get dropped into the color and then the color gets output and turned over to the soundstage. And then eventually like looking at whatever the delivery schedule is from the sort of Mm -hmm. distributor and then helping to get those elements there. So it isn't really like hands-on technical, but it's like using the sort of technical side of your brain. But so I was her post-coordinator 
And we basically like ended up starting a business together where we would post supervise movies. So she would like post supervise a movie. I would post supervise a movie. We would like hire a coordinator under us. And that's how we would like make a living. And then we would try to produce movies on the side. (laughs) So there were times where Louise and I would be like post supervising like six films at once and also producing a movie, which, which means for like eight years, Louise and I did nothing but work. What was that? I mean, yeah, it it was insane. How much of a toll did that take in other areas of your life? I can't believe that I'm married with children. (laughs) Like, and I understand why my wife has so much resentment towards me. Because all I did was like work for yeah years. Yeah, it was. I mean, talk about that a little bit because I think the the impression that sometimes people get is like, oh, you're just opportunities and you're working nonstop. But but there is a cost to it, right? There is like oh a, a decision you have to make, and it comes at the the expense of other areas of our lives sometimes. And so, was that a struggle for you, or were you like, I just want to go hard for this amount of time, and then I'll shift my focus to this other thing? So, so the truthfully, like my real answer to that is I, I didn't even really think about it until like four months ago when we all got locked in quarantine. Oh my gosh. So I like, I mean, look, I think you make, I made a, I made a choice to be the kind of person that put my career and like work ethic above everything else. Not in like an egotistical kind of way. Mm. But I I was just very I mean the truth is I'm I like I am a complete workaholic. I think I missed out on a lot of fun stuff that you do when you are in your 20s when you're not working 14 hours a day. So at the time I didn't think about it because I just kept my head down and I was like I'm building something, I'm building something like I you know, you have those like ridiculous goals when you're like 23, like I'm going to win an Oscar, but in 10 years and I'm going to run a studio and like all that shit. And I, and I thought like, who gives a fuck about friendship? And like, I don't, I, you know, I don't need to like travel the world. And yeah, then you like wake up 10 years later and you're like, Oh my God, all I've been doing is like working for 10 years. Why didn't I travel the world? <laughs> I used to have a lot of like judgment for people who like I looked at and thought like, yeah, like, where's your ambition? Right. Like, yes. Why are you just like being like a lift attendant at a ski resort? Like do something with yourself. Right. And now I would do anything to go back and be a lift attendant at a ski resort. Like I would do, I would love that like more than anything to just be like, mm. That's how you like form who you are in the world. And you're like open to experiences and people and life isn't just about work, but it's taken me a very long time to get there. And the truth is I'm like not even there because all I do still is really work and it's still a huge issue in like my marriage, but you know. Well, but I, but I think it's like a, a process, right? Like everything else. And you cannot expect to change a behavioral pattern or a thought pattern you've had your entire adult life totally. overnight. Like that's just not going to happen. And and I also think that there's something to be said about 
you obviously take a lot of pride in what you do and the work that you're creating and, and being a, a part of the conversation of being a filmmaker and putting out good work. And so when you feel, I think, tremendous pride towards the thing you're working towards, for sure, it's hard sometimes to... To like, I have this metaphor often that it just feels like I'm I'm on a roller coaster, and every time I get to the end, I'm like, okay, I need to I need to get off for a minute. Yeah, I like have vomited all over myself. Yeah, but the attendant doesn't hear me, so I just go again. Yeah, and I have blinked, <laughs> and like ten years of my life have passed. <laughs> like that's literally. I, what I, I love feel that. So, I love that. Yeah, right. That's what I feel, and it's like yes, it, and roller coasters are exhilarating. There are moments that are awesome, and then there are yeah. moments of terror. Yeah, it's the full. It's all of it. it but I think it's like so hard to separate especially when you come up the independent side like who you are and the things that you're doing from all these other areas of your life and part of why I think I started this podcast is similar to what you're saying is I felt myself get a little lost in it where I would blink and six months of my life have passed and I'm like totally all I did was make this movie and what a great thing to get to do but there's got to be more than just this. And if this yeah. is all there is, and this is as good as it gets, and it's just more of this, but bigger with more people and more money and more, more problems, then totally. is this the life? You know, is this really the path? And so I have existential crises, like probably, you know, once a quarter, if not more. <laughs> awesome. So it's like, I, I, yeah, it's, it's true. But I, I'm lucky enough that I, because I freelance, I do get some of these, you know, uh, forced upon breaks of unemployment where I get to like, whoa, is this, is this what I want to be doing? But, but I, I I hear you 100%. It's, it's life passes by so quickly and you're like, what the fuck, you know? Yeah. What do you think though? Is it what you want to be doing? (sighs) I mean, Yeah, in many ways, it's like, you know, I moved out here 14 years ago to pursue this damn business. And I started as an artist, as an actor, and then found producing. And I think that I have worked so hard for my entire adult life. All of my 20s were spent invested and immersed in this. And and not just this in the work, but also like trying to find a way in to the proverbial mm-hmm. castle that is Hollywood because I'm like mm-hmm. an immigrant and like shouldn't be here. And I'm constantly like, I feel like I find a back door and I get in through the kitchen and they're like, get out, get out, you know? Like, I feel like I can never find sustainability. Yeah, yeah. I, I finally feel like in the past few years, there's momentum and I'm finally getting to like work at the level I want to be working at, collaborating with the kinds of people that are more visible and all of that. So it feels like it's definitely paid off, but sure. I also feel on the other hand that if it all went away tomorrow, like I'd be like, okay, cool. I had a good run. You know what I mean? And I can take these skills and apply them towards something yeah, else. Yeah, I just yeah. don't know what that else is. So there's like the one hand I feel that, but then I also feel very much in light of Black Lives Matter and everything that's happening in our world right now, we as storytellers have this this tremendous gift and this responsibility to shape these conversations. Absolutely. And what an honor and what a privilege to get to be alive at a time when yes. there is so much interest in other perspectives and stories of other you know, and normalizing the, these conversations. And you look at movies even that were made 20 years ago, and sometimes I'm like, yeah, the way women were 
treated and written and like it's fucked up and it wasn't that long ago oh you know so it's it's like I don't want to give that up then because I've worked my ass off to get to the place where now I get to be a part of selecting the kinds of stories we're gonna we're gonna share worldwide and so then yeah I want to be here because I've earned my place here so it's it's constantly a yin yang between those two you know where I'm like fuck it burn it to the ground I hate it and then like this is everything so I feel a little bipolar with all of it uh, and I definitely don't have an answer it's like depends on what day you catch me and you caught me on a good day because I got my Marianne bangs and I'm feeling myself you know but like yeah I love it I know other days where it just feels like concrete walls that you can't get through it just fe- it, it, tra- it takes tremendous effort and energy. And I have found so much of the producing journey is, is such a lonely solo journey. Mm. And that's why like, I'm hungry for community. I've always wanted mentorship and I've never been able to find it. And I have mm. realized that through this podcast, it's like every conversation is very selfish because it's like therapy for me, sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, all my peers are my collaborators, the people that are at my level. They're all mentoring me like in these one hour conversations we get to have and every, and I get to hear Mm-hmm. my own experiences my own conflicts like reflected back towards me and it's validating in many ways that it's like oh right like uh, others feel this others also struggle with this and it helps me find a little more fight inside to keep going so i love that that's my monologue on that but but yeah so it's it's if it, and that's the thing too like i think people have this perception that producing is like hanging out with celebs and drinking champagne at the red carpets. And it's just very glamorous and, and we know it isn't and that it takes so much out of us and it costs other areas of our lives. And so whoever is listening, who wants to do this, like I welcome you, but just be aware of what is required really. Because 10 years ago when I started, I didn't know. Totally. There are books and yes, there are the different programs for producing, but no one really prepares you for all the different paths that exist under the umbrella of producing, you know? And so I hope through these conversations and sharing our journeys, others can hear it and it can guide them and then other collaborators in the business, even if you're not a producer, if you're a writer, an actor, whatever, you're going to interface with a producer at some point. So you should know what we go through, what we think, what we feel. Full stop. Totally. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of like what a what a producer with a capital P actually does. What are some yeah, what are some of the misunderstandings that you have found on your end that you wish to admit demystify? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this where you sort of put the blame for this, but I think a lot of sort of like vanity credits are are given out at the producerial level. It's a bit strange when you sort of have like a financier that has a producer credit who's maybe not producing because yes. now there's the sort of PGA credit that you get to have next to your name, which is great. Um, but I think, you know, producing is like, it's a real job. Like you're usually like responsible fiscally to whoever is putting the money up. So you're like responsible to that person or that party or that studio. Yeah to stay in and on budget and still to deliver something of, of the sort of like elevated quality that you've said that you would. Um, And then there's the sort of like day to day creative. And then there's like the day to day physical production management. And it's, it's very hard to find producers in my experience (laughs) that can like do both. And, um, I think a lot of people think that producers just like sit in a room and give notes all day. That's like 
4% of what a producer does. You are making sure your like script is in a shootable place. You're like hiring your entire crew, your department heads, which are hugely important. It's important to me to like build a set in front of and behind the camera that's like representative of the world we live in. Um, and um, always sort of like being yes. that voice to keep pushing that forward. It's like setting up a little business every time you make a movie. Mm-hmm. Make sure that there's a budget and a schedule that you can sign off on and put your name on and say like, yes, I can stick to this and deliver it to you, the studio yeah. or, or whoever it is. Yeah. Well, while also managing a ton of different personality types, because that's the other thing, like it's not just finding the best person for the job and, and making it an inclusive workplace that is representative of our world. But then the extra level of like, well, these people also have to gel creatively and speak the same love language, so to speak. Otherwise, totally. you're going to run into roadblocks at every step of the way that in your production, right, that's going to impact all the other things you just talked about, the fiscal responsibility, yes. all the other aspects of it. So it's so symbiotic and it's totally insane that anything gets done. Yes, it It is. It's insane that anything gets done. And I think there's also a certain level of like, you want to protect the creative process and create an environment on set where like, it's not, things aren't just happening between action and cut, you know, like, and you want to create a creative environment mm-hmm. where something amazing can come out of it and protect that. But then you also want to be transparent with your creative team and filmmaker that, um, you know, there are things sometimes you just can't do. And typically as the producer, you're the person that has to go in and sort of say like, no. And that's also always a really challenging um, thing. Well, yeah. And then this misconception that people think producers always just say no, and they're all the money people just keeping all the money. They have the money or they keep the money or they make all the money. And that's especially in the indie film context. It's like that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. And the best producers, to your point, are the people that can say no, but, you know, there's actually uh, informed thoughts behind that it isn't just because yes anybody who thinks producers are making a ton of money i am here to tell you like that is not true like especially in the indie film space like producer fees are like always the first ones to get cut you're not you're not paid in like you know the way like other people are paid like weekly like you get paid and that's just not how it works in the space that i've ever been in like i made four movies that I produced and got, you know, full on produced by, I made $0 on all four of them. That's crazy. Yeah. Of those four, I then luckily started making some money. Yeah. Yeah. Made movies where you made money. Yes. How do you then go from the post side of things to looking now at like what you've done and some of the credits and where you're at? You seem to now have transitioned. You went into indie production for a while. You were the VP of production at Campfire, where I just worked with them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just did a doc with them. And then now you have your own company, it seems, and you're sort of more involved in, in the initial parts of the process as well, not just production. So talk a little bit about that trajectory. Well, I wish that 51 was my company, but it isn't. But that's okay. It's, I still, I, everything about it is, I love it. <laughs> so w- when I was working in post, I had made the Four-Faced Liar which was the first movie I made. And I was post supervising or coordinating a film for Lynette Howell, who's like a just absolute badass pioneer indie film producer. Um, and she saw the four face liar. Um, and she was like, Oh, that was like pretty cute little movie. And she had a really small, a small script 
and said to me, and at the time, Louise Runch, who I was po- like post supervising with, said to us, like, I have this small movie, you know, it should be made for like a few hundred grand. I don't really make stuff like that anymore. Do you want to read it and see what you think? So we read it and absolutely fucking fell in love with it um, and met with that filmmaker and that movie turned into what is now this film called 28 hotel rooms, which was Matt Ross's first film that he wrote and directed. And then Matt went on to do captain fantastic. Hmm. So basically like in a way, Lynette opened a much bigger door for us. So we made 28 hotel rooms, which at the time was called, but beautiful. Like she's so bad for me, but beautiful. But that movie takes place over 10 years and it's like a couple that they're having an affair. So they're both married to other people and they have an affair with each other and they meet up once a year in this hotel room. (laughs) So we actually shot in like 28 different hotel rooms in LA and New York. And there's a lot of intimacy in that movie, a lot of nakedness. And we would be like shooting at airport hotels or like a nice hotel in Beverly Hills, wherever. And Chris Messina, who's in the movie, and Marin Ireland, who's the actress mm-hmm. in the movie, would be like running from room to room, like basically naked, right? Because they'd be like, we're going to do we're going to do this scene and then we're going to do that scene. And like and like on our insurance, it said like, but beautiful LLC. And we were like a tiny crew and often like wouldn't have catering. So we'd have to like order room service. So a few times we had like general <laughs> managers like come in, like try to like shut it down because they were like, you're obviously making a porn film like in our hotel. And uh, we weren't making a porn film, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so, so we made that and that ended up going to Sundance, which we were very proud of. And then basically Marin, who's in 28 hotel rooms said, Hey, I read this script recently. It's by this filmmaker who's made a couple small movies. A- anyone who's read it has said he has to make it for like a couple million dollars. What, can you read it? Like, what do you think? So, so I read it and was like, no, like this, I can make this movie for like 200 grand. So then we made that movie and like, and that movie, like, I don't know, like won the Austin film festival. And then from there we made another movie with that same filmmaker and that movie premiered at Tribeca. And then we just kind of like started we were like in this little group of like indie filmmakers really like all thanks to Lynette. Um, But then what ended up happening is like, then I started to become this producer that people started coming to with scripts and saying like, I have this script, you know, the last budget I did or someone did, it was like $8 million, but you know, I've raised like two and a half, three, like, what do you think? And I, and I just like always said, yes, we were just always like, yes, we can do it. Yes, we can do it. We sort of ended up like kind of like line producing movies for people, but because Louise and I, Mm. like I had such an understanding of like physical production and she had such an understanding of post-production. And then the two of us kind of like took our skill set together. We were able to be like, will line produce and post-revise your movie, but like we want to be like EPs or we want to be producers, you know? Yeah. And that was awesome. And it was wonderful experience. And we made something like eight movies in 10 years or something. Wow. So then we made Captain Fantastic and Matt and Lynette Howell, who produced that film really, really fought for me Mm. because basically like I interviewed to, to be on that 
movie as like a line producer and the financiers were like, no, like you've never made a movie of this size. And the reason why they really didn't want to hire me was because they were looking at the script and they were like, this movie should be made for like $12 million. And they had like $8 million. And I was like, it can definitely be made for eight. Like I can do it. I can do it. And from that point on, I had like Lynette Howell in my like sights. Like I was like, she is the only producer that I had ever worked with that understood physical production at a very detailed level and had like yeah. amazing creative instincts and filmmakers really trusted and was super transparent. Yeah. Like I had never seen that. And here this producer was in front of me that, and I like wanted, I was like, that's, that's my goal. So literally from that point on every decision I made, I went to Lynette. I like forced her into being my mentor. Like I was like, should I do this movie or should I do that movie? Or like, I think I'm going to make this small movie for Netflix. Like, what do you think? And when, when can I work for you? And <laughs> yeah, she was always really giving. And then I, I campfire. Yeah. So Ross Dinnerstein, who, who founded campfire was like making a small movie for Netflix. And it one and it was one of Netflix's first original films. It may have even been the first original film. Is that six balloons? No. So that was this movie called rebirth. That was like some horror movie. It was <laughs> fucking tiny like I had just made Captain Fantastic and like helped on this movie Trumbo and I was like finally working with real money but I was a basically a line producer and I really was missing like development and creative process and yep so then I saw with Ross like I was like okay well this might be an opportunity to like get in with Netflix So I line produced that movie for Ross and then Ross was like, you should come work at my company. I loved working for Ross because he's literally the nicest person in the film industry. Like he has the most amazing like boundaries. He's like a dad. He's just like the best fucking person in the world. And I said to him as I was working there for like however many years I was there, I was like, listen, I will stay here forever. Yeah. If I can make the kind of content I want, I will never leave you unless Lynette Howell comes knocking. If Lynette Howell ever appears and offers me a job, like I will leave. Mm -hmm. So what ended up happening at campfire? So we made these movies for Netflix and my friend who wrote that first play that, that like we turned into a movie, she went on to become like a prolific like playwright and, was like writing plays for David Mamet and then wow. like created a show at Amazon with Jill Soloway and like wrote Splash for Channing Tatum. And she was one of my best friends and she came to me and said, hey, I want to write this movie about you and your brother and it'll resemble that night you had with him. It'll take place in 24 hours and can I write it? And I was like, no, you can't, no, like, that's crazy. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, you know, Marja, like, I think you're a director, like you're writing, you only go up for writing jobs, but you want to be a director. So you can write it. And like, I'll trust you with that, but you have to direct it. And then I promise I'll go get it made. And I think a lit, she was a little bit like, oh, sure, whatever bullshit, you'll get it made. Yeah, yeah. 
then, you know, she wrote it and I would like sit on her bedroom floor and we would drink like Coronas and she would like write a scene and I would read it. We did, we ended up taking it to Ross dinner scene at campfire and we walked it into Netflix together, the three of us. And they like, they bought it in the room, which was fucking amazing. That's incredible, dude. I took that to Lynette and I was like, I'm making this movie with my best friend about me and my brother. I know that sounds crazy, but like, I want you to executive produce it. And if you like it, then I'm going to come work for you. You're going to start a company. I'm going to come work for you. And I think she was also like, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> and then the timing like really worked out. Like, yeah. it's so strange. Like she, Lynette started a new company called 51 entertainment. And then I made six balloons with Ross and Marja. And then I left Ross and went to, to work there. Work with and now you've been there since. Yeah. And I've been there since. Yeah. And so is there an MO for the company? Because here in, in the bio, it says a platform agnostic filmmaker driven production company. What does that mean? Like, <laughs> it's fancy words, but. <laughs> oh, shit. Because like, clearly, like from IMDb, it seems like you guys really gravitate towards working with female writer directors. Yeah. You did, you know, Tara Miel's. Tara Miel's. Yeah. Tara Mealy. Yeah. So Tara Mealy's Wonder Darkly and you worked with yeah. Brie Larson, you did Unicorn yeah. Store and you're obviously working with her again. Like, talk about that. Well, the name 51 Entertainment is representative. It, it represents that women make up 51% of the population. So so mm. we are very interested in tipping the scales and putting more women or really like underrepresented voices. Yeah. Specifically in the story teller mm-hmm. position yeah it's not that we're only working with women or, or sort of people of color but but we really would like more underrepresented voices telling stories yeah, yeah. and and the the sort of like platform budget agnostic is really like you know look people say sometimes like what do you want to make and and the truth is like i think we just want to make like elevated content that means something so like sometimes people will be like, do you, would you make a horror movie? And it's sort of like, yeah, like if it says something about the world or like, yeah, there's a deeper meaning to it. Like for sure we'd make a horror movie. Yeah, like right, like a point of yeah, view. Yeah, like so we are yeah. a sort of like budget genre agnostic. Like you know we made yeah Tara Tara's movie that premiered at Sundance. It's a very small movie that we made in LA for like not a lot of money and it was just such a grueling shoot, but lovely experience. And now we're yeah about to go make this like huge show for Apple. So we really are like across the scale. Yeah. Um, open to anything and everything, but we're very, 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 we keep a really small slate because it's a really small company. So we, we try not to like, we're definitely like not in the business of like just sort of like optioning material to sit on it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Makes total sense. I feel like, you know, our industry has such a high barrier for entry for a lot of people, but especially women and people of color and Hence, a lot of dismantling this thanks to the Black Lives Matter movement, which I'm so grateful is in existence. But totally, how do you yeah. 
recommend someone level up in their career if there are these barriers, not just at the front end to get in, like even at the bottom level, but it feels like every time you're tear jumping within our own careers, it's like, yeah, it's like you're you can never prove yourself enough. It's like, oh, you've done this doesn't matter. You want how totally. many Oscars? You got to have another one. It's like the, the, the it always the goalpost keeps moving every time. Yeah. So how do you level up? It's such a fucked up thing, right? Because it's like, how do I level up? And you know what? It's like, it's like, it's my responsibility. Like, it's like our responsibility. People who like give that are like crewing up a show or like looking for creative department heads, like we need to be way more open and, and vocal you know, the, this idea that like, oh, it's going to be really hard to find an editor that's like a woman of color because they've not had the opportunity or they don't exist. And it's like, you know what, then fucking try harder. Not, not those people, not those editors, like me, people like me, like producers, directors, studio executives, like we can't just be like out at protests and like black lives matter and like posting shit on Facebook and Instagram and then not following through on that stuff. Yes. Like 100%. And I think that that is really important. And I think people who are in positions of power have to be vocal and have to put their foot down about walking the walk. Yeah. I really, I, I really do. Yeah. Walking the walk. But even before black lives matter, I was at Sundance too. I had a film premiere there and I attended like every you know, sort of panel and brunch thing for women and diversity. And, and I was like, this is awesome. We're here drinking champagne, talking yeah. about inclusion yeah, and yeah, diversity. Yeah. But <laughs> we all agree about it in this yes. room. That's why we're here. And that's not the people that need to hear it. And while this is incredible to be having this conversation here, yes, how are we actually doing this in real time in the real world? You know, like, because I don't see that because we're all talking about it. But then we're looking at the statistics and it's like, how how much more talking are we going to do if this is still the reality in 2020? Like, so oh, I think it's like the micro tiny ways that we can actually go outside our comfort zones to your point and actually doing a little bit heavier lifting to, to find people, to give them opportunities and to understand that a lot of times, yeah, they're not going to have the resume because no one's giving them the opportunity. Exactly. So you're going to have to take a risk. Yes. And and give people this like initial hand up into these rungs so they can then soar from there. And yes, I, th- I think that's the only way I think like, oh, mentorship, shadowing, that's not enough. Like we just need totally. to give people the jobs. Yes. And, that's it. and I and I really applaud people that make you my my wife was saying this to me the other day. She's a documentary filmmaker. Nice. And um, she um, was looking for an editor and uh, it was really important to her to have a female editor. And it was really important to the the person that the documentary is about that, that the editor was female or, and th- it got to the point at one point where my wife was like, fuck it. Like, I just can't find this person. Forget it. I'll just hire, you know, Steve or whatever. Like I really liked him. And, the person the documentary is ab- is about was like, no, like you just have to try harder, you know? <laughs> and at the time my wife was like free. She was like so frustrated, even though it's what she wanted. Right. But she ended up finding an editor who she's now like obsessed yeah. with and they've done like six projects together. And it's like her favorite editor of any editor she's ever worked with. And it's like, if she wasn't yeah. forced so hard by someone yeah. who had the power 
she never would have found her. Yes. Outside of what's easy, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like everything that's at arm's length. Totally. And I, I get that. I understand that, especially as producers, like there's when there is a shorthand, all of that stuff, there's so much value there. But I think that we're in a period of our industry where a lot of people are going to have to be a little uncomfortable for a little while yes. to give other people totally. a, an opportunity because there's no other way. Yes. Yes. Right? Like I couldn't couldn't agree that's, with you. More. That's my MO. Yeah. That's what I'm at least trying to to do and create. What movie what movie did you have at Sunday? Sylvie's Love? Oh yeah, cool. The Tessa Thompson film? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was the UPM on that. It was my first Sundance. Uh and how was it? It was great, but like great timing because now like who knows when Sundance will be back the way no, like the way it yeah. was. But uh it was it was insane, totally. but it was good. It was like a really insane uh four days. But you know, I, I did want to get in a little bit with you on you know the challenges you faced along your path, right? Like totally. the times when things weren't clicking or you may have felt or experienced experienced lows and you were like what the fuck am I doing what's the point in doing this how do I keep going but clearly you found the strength to keep to keep going because here you are thriving in 2020 so will you speak a little bit to some of those experiences you've had and how you managed to to stick it out well I okay so a couple of things so for me like it's interesting right because I've had times where I've been like you know if I had gone to college because like I barely have a high school degree. Right. So like, or a diploma. So there are times when I, that I have thought like, if I could go to law school, like, would I, like, would I, would I make it, would I have made a different choice? The thing with me is like, mm. I never really had anything to fall back on. Like I couldn't really do anything else. Like I didn't have any other skill sets. So for me, like I sort of, and, and that might've, that might even be like a lie I'm telling myself. Like I, I, you know, maybe I could like study and still take the LSATs. Like, I think you can do that in California. Like, you know, like probably could. Yeah. Yeah. That might've been a lie. I was telling myself to like protect me from leaving the, the dream I've always had. Mm. And I think also, you know, for me, like growing up, I had a real profound sense of loneliness and, I'm just not ready or I was never ready to give up on making people less lonely. And I, and I think ultimately like anytime I've ever thought like, should I stop doing this or should I like look elsewhere? It's kind of always come back to that. And that that's not to say that I won't someday be ready to like let go of it, but I just haven't been able to let go of that. And to me, the only way I can see making people less lonely is by being a storyteller and creating like, yeah. content. I mean, that's, that's great. But even when you have felt lonely, so that's interesting that you have felt lonely, but then your solution to that feeling was to find a way to help others feel less lonely. You know, I know it's so strange, right? Like, what the fuck is that about? <laughs> I don't know. I have to ask that's my therapist very, that. It like, sounds very healthy. Like, of all the ways to deal with that, I think that's a good one. I think, I mean, like, I also have a very, very, very supportive, like, partner in life. Like, I've been with my wife for, like, 12 years. She's seen me work my ass off. Mm. And she's very supportive like I, you know she's kind of like been there for me in moments where I'm really sort of questioning everything yeah um you know I have to say though like if I was still line producing 
and like Lynette didn't give me this opportunity or I never made six balloons, I don't, I don't know if I'd still be doing it because I wouldn't, I really wasn't getting my like creative, like soul met, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do know. (laughs) 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 I do know. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I know exactly. Yeah. I know exactly. I'm, I'm in the middle of that transition right now, you know, where I came up physical producing and been line producing UPMing and there's a love so many things about it, but when I look into the future of what my what my life to be, it's not that. Like I don't want to just do that. So yeah, because I actually had that experience. The very first project I ever produced was a documentary called Autism in Love, and it was like oh yeah, one yeah, of those yeah. things. You know, very like similar to what you were saying. I I just didn't know any better, so I was like, yeah, I'll produce it. I'll figure it out. I right. Know, well, I'll get it done. You yeah. Know? And I was the capital P producer, and I did everything soup to nuts, and struggled my way through, and didn't know how to budget, and used like. Mm-hmm no accounting software right. yeah, just yeah, like yeah. A whole, the whole totally. thing was a hot yeah. mess but like but the beauty of it was I had no expectations and that project opened so many doors for me and then I was like this is what producing is is you do all of the things right. and then after that project I just kind of got stuck just doing physical production right. and I was like well no but I I want to I want to be doing this part too and so then flash forward five years totally. which is not that right. long but still yeah. like again significant you know how fast time goes that you're like okay if I don't start putting these things into motion. Yeah. I'm going to get I'm going to get stuck here and I think there's a lot of people and I we need them who love just totally seeing it. Yes. Want to just do yeah. that and have no creative they just want to be the person and I and I think that's fantastic but I've always known in my heart that like because I'm an artist first, like I need to have that that to fill my well. Yeah. We will know how long it takes to get anything made so it's like while I'm I'm biting my time and pushing right. boulder, boulders uphill. I have this platform to talk to other people and keep myself motivated, uh, you know, and encouraged through all of it. So yeah, so I totally totally hear that. And I don't know. I'm just I'm glad that you did. You know, I'm glad that you did because it, it seems very clear to me that you're you're destined for this and you're meant to be here. And if like I think if you had left to go do something else, I think you would have come back. I think you'd be like, nah, fuck this. I think you would have come back to it. You know what I mean? <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of you to say. Yeah. I mean, well, from what our conversation, I obviously don't know you, but just from, from that and obviously with Carolina and her. It's because we talked about normal people in the beginning. I think so. I think that's because it was, it's because we talked about I think that's what it is. And I recognize, I I recognize your. In my bangs. Yeah. That's what it is. Your merit. Yeah. That's what we have. We have a connection. Yeah. But, um, but before I let you go, my last question I want to ask you is, you know, if, if there's a legacy you hope to leave behind, you're so young. You're still the infancy of your career, but what would you want that to be? Oh my God. I have no idea. I think it's so funny. Like I've actually find like a lot of women don't really think about like legacy somehow. Do you know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I don't, That's why I like to ask it because you should start thinking about it. I guess I hope that I will have made something that's changed the way people think about the world somehow. I I don't, okay. I think if you ask me like, what's your piece of advice? Like I could answer that. But like, what's my legacy? What do I want it to be? I have no fucking idea. I guess I wanna be someone who's created stories that that make people feel and think about the world differently than they might have walking into the viewing experience yeah i don't know yeah 
Yeah, that's wonderful. That's a great legacy. I mean, you're already working towards it, so I see why not. You know? Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for spending this time with me. Thank you so much for asking me. Will will you give will you give Carolina Costa my love because I I miss her and think she's the fucking best. So I will I will. She goes by Caro. I go by Carolina. We'll figure it out on set. I'm jealous. That's a great problem to have. Thank it's been you really again. fun chatting with you though. Thank you. Oh my for- gosh, dude, this is awesome. And that's this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you don't already, please subscribe, rate, review on Apple, on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. Follow me on the socials. I'm at Carolina Gropa. The show's at Life with Kaka. And I'll see you next week. Beijos.